what we believe we believe. Why do I believe Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life? You want to be a Christian. You want to live the Christian life. But you've never learned how to live the Christian life. So last week I uh, started a two-part series, a series on the value of Scripture. Um, we looked at the temptation of Christ and how Scripture is both a weapon and it's something that we use when we are tempted by misplaced worship. Earlier we talked about praying for rain and I think maybe we should start off with a prayer before we get into a, any kind of Scripture and teaching. So if you'll join me. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you that we can come to your house and worship you. Uh, we can sing songs to you and, um, and hear what it is that you have to say. Right now we are in a period of time where we pray for rain. We pray for uh, the, those people in our congregation who rely on this for their livelihood and also for, for those of us who need the food, which kind of boils down to every single one of us here. We pray that you would bring your rain and, um, and you would help to feed us and bring the things that, that we need. Open our ears today. Give us discernment to hear what it is that you have to say and bring scripture alive that we may learn. In your name, amen. So I'm going to call today's sermon Inerrancy and Complacency. And they're rhyming words, so that's always good for the name of a sermon. Um, we are going to be using the life of Samson as our uh, outline. It's a large one. It's Judges 13 through 16. So I couldn't get that all on the front of the bulletin. So I just picked the verse that caused the most problems. Uh, what do we know about Samson? When you hear the word Samson, what do you think of? Is there anything that pops? Strength. Strength. I said to Edward that he is the, the Bible's superhero, if you want to paint him that way. Is there any, anything else about Samson that, that pops out? Hair. Hair, yes. But uh, I don't want anyone to be uh, misled. <laughs> I don't have that much strength. You know that Samson is one of only four people in the Bible whose birth was foretold by an angel? There was Ishmael and Samson in the Old Testament, John the Baptist and Jesus. So it puts him in a very special category. And Samson only had one job to do. I'm sure you've seen those, you had one job posters or pictures somewhere. Well, Samson had one job, which, like those posters and pictures, he didn't really do very well. But he was supposed to be the leader in a military sense for Israel. He had really no um, spiritual position, but he was supposed to be a military leader. And with the special strength that he was given, that is, makes sense that he would spend his time out there leading them that, in that way. And there was one special thing about Samson is that he was a Nazarite. Does anyone know what that means to be a Nazarite? There's, there's a vow. 
The, the thing is, most times, Nazarites made the vow after they were born, and Samson was under the Nazarite vow from the time of conception, which is special because he didn't really come into it willingly. It was thrust upon him, as it were. We read about that in Judges 13, verses 4 and 5. And to be a Nazarite meant that he was consecrated or separated. And so I'm going to use this vow as the outline. Uh, there were three points to the vow. The first point was he was not supposed to come in contact with dead bodies. The second point is he was not supposed to get drunk. And the third point is he was not supposed to cut his hair. And if we look at these vows in the uh, context of Samson, we can also look at it in the context of how we live as believers. And each vow is representative of how we allow ourselves to be drawn away from the truth of Scripture. Now, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, you have made a profession of faith. You have made a vow, as it were. So a vow basically is a solemn promise or a covenant or a pledge, or as we use in Christianese, it is our public declaration of intent. So we've made a declaration, we've made a vow before God to be a Christian and to follow him. But what we do here, and what we see Samson doing, is, is breaking his vows. And the first vow that we're going to talk about is the dead bodies vow. This represents how we sin daily. In Ephesians 2 verse 1 it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. And I think maybe there's something we need to talk about right off the top. It's something that I hear from time to time. It's not very often, but enough that maybe it needs to be addressed. There's this notion called sinless perfection. This idea that when you become a Christian, you're no longer capable of sinning. And this is not true. In 1 John 1 verse 8 it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so each one of us is a sinner. We sin daily. This is our breaking of the first vow. The, we could call it the dead bodies vow, but um, just, just to help us remember it. Sin is unavoidable, unfortunately. Every day we sin. And in 1 Kings 8, verse 46, it says, There is no person who does not sin. And every day we willfully make decisions that glorify our sinful nature. There is no temptation, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Romans 8 verse 7 says the flesh is hostile toward God. And you can go on and on, and there are many verses that talk about this. But how does that fit into the story that we are reading about Samson? You see, Samson's vow states that he was not allowed to touch dead bodies. And the Bible says to us to stop sinning. So these, these rules, you know, don't touch dead bodies, don't sin. But we do it, don't we? So we can make excuses for Samson and we can say, well, you know, in the Torah or in the law, it really only forbid him from coming in contact with a dead soul. You know, he could touch dead animals because they don't have souls. And he did. He touched dead, dead animals. He touched the lion, right? He touched the jawbone. And so that wasn't really a violation of the law. We can make excuses, and we make excuses for our sins every day, too. But what about the people that, that he killed? 
What about the people that Samson went out and, and killed? Was his sin unavoidable? Samson's job put him in situations that made him in contact with dead bodies. At least three times he, he broke this vow. And it says, and one example here is in Judges 14, 19, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and he slew 30 men of them. So he was under a vow and yet God gave him power and he went and killed people. So we can argue then that God empowered him to do it. But does God lead us into sin then? You know, we can't say that because in James 1 verse 13 it says, God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. You know, we find ourselves in this situation daily. And we're led into sin. And we willfully act upon our sin. And we're not supposed to. But we do it anyway. It's, it's a willful thing inside of us. It drives us to that. As Samson was doing his job. And yet he broke his vow. When we sin, we break our vow. Through sanctification, however, through God's holiness, there is a covering for those sins. And this battle that we have with sin is lifelong. It stays with us from the cradle to the grave. In Romans 7.14, we know, it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh and I am a bond, in bondage sold to sin. And then one of my favorite verses, Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we supposed to continue sinning so that our grace abounds? And the answer that we read is, of course not. You know, why would you ask such a question? But, you know, we come to these questions. We're looking for an excuse. And we break our vows and we say, well, you know, I have an out. Sometimes we say, hey God, I'm, I'm just going to go do this little sin here. And um, can you just excuse me for a second? We should ask God to forgive us and not excuse us. Is it really easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission? Luckily, though, God uses sinners like Samson to fulfill his purpose. If unchecked, though, where do our sins bring us? Samson allowed his sin to grow and define him. And Samson desired to be like the Philistines, the ones that he was chosen to judge. Samson then began to trust in his strength alone, and he looked to his sinfulness in order to excite him. And he knew what his vow was. You know, it's, it's not like, well, I took the vow in utero, so I don't actually know what it's about. He had no excuse because he even says in his own words in Judges 16 17, I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. So he knew what he was about. In the same way, today's modern church, our church, pays lip service to our vow. And we do not lean on God for strength. We say things like, believe in yourself. Last week, I talked about us finding scripture boring, looking for excitement, looking for entertainment. So if we don't fight against our sinning daily, it begins to corrupt us. There are times when sinning seems, seems unavoidable, but complacency in our sin is intentional. 
And that brings us to the second vow. The breaking of it, the vow of drunkenness. This is the vow of complacency. You see, like Samson, we have come to a place where we say, look, I've done all these little sins now, and there's no lightning that came down from heaven. I haven't been struck. So, meh, maybe God doesn't think it's so bad. And do you ever find yourself thinking that? You do, you do something, and you, oh, I got away with that one. And the, the lie arises in our heads, well, maybe God doesn't really mind. And that reminds me of what the serpent said in the garden. Did God really say that? And we start questioning God. And then we become complacent. So this idea of drunkenness in the Nazarite vow was this idea of intent. It's intentional singing, a sinning. Unlike the first one, which was willful, but not intentional. This is intentional. We rationalize our sin. We allow ourselves to give in. In Judges 16, verse 1, it says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. How did that happen? How did, how did that happen to Samson? How did he go from someone who had the Spirit of God stirring in him to someone who led a life of debauchery? It didn't happen overnight. It happened slowly, over time, little bit by little bit, wearing him away. Just imagine how he tried to rationalize this. He was the leader of the people. He had special gifts from God. And yet he rationalized, breaking his vows and sinning. What was it that really ruled Samson? Now, just like the Nazarite vow, Scripture ought to be the ruling authority in our lives. Like it says in the Pirates of the Caribbean, this is more than just a guideline. It's more than just a suggestion. These are the rules. Scripture is the voice of God speaking plainly to us. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, From infancy you have known the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, which are, made, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be intentional. Think of the Spirit as a flame and the Scripture as fuel. The more fuel that's poured on a flame, the more it increases and the more fiercely it burns. And in the same way, the more we study and understand Scripture, the more our passion for Christ increases. I'll bring in an example from my own life. Um, many, many years ago, measured by decades, there was, a, there was a time when I was in a band. And we were all Christian guys in a band. And we weren't a Christian band. We were Christian guys in a band. And the singer, the leader of the band said one day, you know, we should really start our practices with, with a little bit of praying. And so there was five of us, and we would get in a circle, and we would kind of pray, and it would, like, two minutes, and one guy would maybe say something, and then we're done. But we would practice three times a week. And every time we'd get together, and we'd start this little prayer, and then the next time it was three minutes long, and then it was five minutes long, and then it was ten minutes long, and everybody was praying. And it got to the point where we would get together, and we'd pray for 45 minutes, standing in a circle. And why was that? You know, we started with one guy saying something quickly for two minutes, and we got to the point where we were praying for 45 minutes, those five guys. It's because our passion changed. We had a passion for prayer, for talking to God. 
A good number of us have Bibles. I would hope we all have Bibles. If not, I've got a few. I can give them to you. What do we do with our Bibles? And I know I've got Bible on my phone. I've got a Bible on my tab. But I've got a lot of Bibles. I think the last time I counted, I had like 46 Bibles in my, in my library. It's a lot of Bibles. What do we do with them? We own a Bible. But how long do we go without reading it? Do we go weeks or months or years? Some people treat a Bible like a piece of furniture. Or maybe some flowers that they would put on the table. Do we use the, the Bible as decoration or do we actually read it? When you go without scriptures for a long period of time, the work of the Spirit in you weakens. If you go weeks without scriptures, you begin to lose a passion for them. And if you go even longer periods without studying the Word of God, the Spirit will no longer reside in you. And we know this when we look at, I believe it was um, Elisha or Elijah. It talks about the Spirit coming to him and empowering him, and then when he was done, the Spirit would leave. Not that he was a bad guy, but, you know, if you're going to go without contact with God, Spirit's going to say, you know what? You're not using me here. Our passion for the gospel dies. And the word of God is important for spiritual growth. And through complacency, we replace the scripture with filth and lies. I'm going to read some statements here. Tell me which ones of these are lies. If I feel it, it must be true. It's a lie. Follow your heart. Love affirms everything I feel. Faith is the opposite of knowledge. It's a lie. We are the product of blind, unguided evolution. <laughs> Get to know the real you. How about this one? A good God would not judge. Every single one of these is a lie. Right? And it's designed to pervert our special relationship with God. So like us, Samson was created special in the eyes of God. And he had rules to live by. Samson chose to sin because he became complacent with the strength that God provided him. And he replaced his vow with lies. And the Holy, Scripture who, the Holy Spirit who rested on Samson let him live as a person whose life was empty and meaningless because Samson didn't really want the Spirit to be with him. If we look in the New Testament at the early church, there's a church mentioned in the book of Revelation called Sardis. And they are warned about their complacency 50 years after the church had started. But if you look at the Corinthian church, they are told about their complacency within 10 years of being started. In 1 Corinthians it says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even pagans don't tolerate where a man is sleeping with his father's wife and you're proud of it. So it doesn't take very long for complacency to, complacency to set in. And you can look at any church and see that happening. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12, it says, In that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish men who are being complacent. Those who say in their hearts, The Lord will do no good, nor will he do ill. That sounds like something that we could say today. 
But things don't really seem to change, do they? The lies that we believe are old, and they are unoriginal, and quite frankly, Satan is boring. He doesn't have any new tricks. So we come to the third vow, breaking the third vow, the hair vow. And like I said earlier, let's not get sidetracked by my prodigious quaff. (laughs) The third vow is about putting aside or dismissing Scripture. It's about what we believe regarding the inerrancy of Scripture. So at this point in his life, Samson had already broken two of his three vows, and he really didn't care. His sin actually defined him, and his desires were contrary to God. So how do you see this when it defines people who have grown up in the church and turned away? They know better, but they don't care, and what they do and how they live defines who they are, and their desires turn away from God. They become contrary, don't they? So scripture must be our plumb line. It must direct and determine the boundaries of our lives. We need to bend under the authority of Scripture. And there's two words that I'm going to teach you today if you've never heard them before. The first word is exegesis, and the second word is eisegesis. The first word, exegesis, means to take out. So it's what we glean from Scripture when we read Scripture. So you take and you read Scripture and you say, what is God saying in this verse. And sometimes you need to read more than one verse, or sometimes the verse is very explicit. The second word, eisegesis, means to put in, which means we force Scripture to say the things that we want it to say. That means we take context and throw it out the, wall, out the window, and we say, this is what the Bible should be saying because it makes me feel good, but it's not what the Bible actually says. And when Scripture gets in our way, we turn to apathy, indifference, and distraction. We say, whatever, it's not my problem. I've got other things to do. And these become our idols. In Luke 21, verse 34, it says, But watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What is Christ talking about? Well, certainly he's talking about his return. That's the context of the verse. He's also talking about our end. We've allowed our focus to wane, and we are giving heed to our idols. And then we come to to Judges 16, verse 16 to 17, the famous portion about Delilah and Samson that most of us know, and it reads, It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. Samson, in his complacency, had let himself be pushed to the edge of temptation. And his soul was annoyed. Why was his soul annoyed? Was his soul annoyed because he had given into the the temptation and said, you should be doing better? Or was his soul annoyed because he wanted to sin and his soul didn't want him to. He committed himself to the, de- to the debauchery of his calling. Samson put aside the importance of his calling and dismissed his vow before God. Have you ever heard someone say that they don't need to read scripture? 
Have you ever heard someone say that reading the Bible is really only for pastors and evangelists and leaders? Have you heard someone say they just don't have time to read the Bible? They certainly have enough time to play games on their phone. Could be maybe reading the Bible. It's just not a genuine excuse, is it? The words that we hear coming from Samson are from someone whose soul was annoyed. It's because he had put aside his vow. And why did he do that? He did it because the things that were right were getting in his way. You see, the word of God is infallible. In Latin, they use the term sola scriptura, or scripture alone. So the scriptures are the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith and practice. And the words of God are inerrant, which means that the Bible is without error or fault in all of its teaching. And to challenge the inerrancy of scripture is to reject the truth. You know, but this has become a very popular lie in our churches. This idea of the inerrancy of scripture. Hosea 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. And for Christians who do not study the Bible, can I ask, where do you get your beliefs from? Is it your parents? Is it a pastor? Is it the opinion of your friends? Or do you just follow the desire of your heart? We need to open our Bibles. We need to read it for ourselves. Maybe you're ashamed to be identified as a Christian. C.H. Spurgeon just once said, those who view scripture as being inspired are never ashamed. For scripture to be inspired, it means that God was involved in every detail. How it was recorded, how it was written, that it was, as the scriptures say, God breathed. They are our final and ultimate authority on life. It's the last word on any issue pertaining to God and his will. There is no individual, institution, or organization that can supersede the authority of Scripture. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Have we forgotten this? Do we lay judgment against God based on what we're reading? Do we take God to task for those things that we do not think are godly? We say, well, that's not right. That doesn't sound right. Do we put on the clothing of the Pharisees and Sadducees and judge God, judge Jesus, because he does not do what we expect him to do? Here's the thing. We're the ones being judged. It's not God. The Bible says that we will receive an equal judgment in accordance to those that we have leveled against God. We are the sinful creation. We are the ones who condescend to judge our creator. How do you know when someone is acting like Samson? How do you know when their soul has been annoyed and they've rebelled against the vow that they have made to God? Listen. Listen to what they say. Here's a few things that you can listen for. Maybe catchphrases, as it were. Authentic life. Live your truth. Activate. Best life now. This one made me laugh. The glory cloud. Vision casting, prophetic reading, word of faith, prosperity, spiritual covering. How about seeker sensitive or 
progressive. This is the dripping of poisoned honey from the fangs of Satan himself. He hasn't changed since the temptation of Christ, since the garden, where the law, the word of God, is twisted to please our sinful nature. You see, when, Salmon, with, when Samson rejected his vows, he became a joke to his enemies. And as those who call ourselves Christians, have we become a joke because we have rejected our vows, our scriptures, and our God? Just like Samson, there needs to be a time of awakening. And in Judges 16, we read, Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my eyes. You see, he had been caught and his eyes had been gouged out and now he was being held like some kind of circus freak to entertain the people that hated him. And it took this to make his vow to make the truth of who he was vivid. Turn back to God. Remember the fire that consumed you, the weapon that you once held, and the profession of faith you once vowed before God and men. Everything we read, everything we hear or study or come across must be under the authority of Scripture. Don't argue or negotiate or look for loopholes, but bend your knee, submit and say, Yes, Lord. The Word of God is the only authority and standard in our lives, and we need to test everything against it. Remember your vow. John Piper said, How many people have perished because they think my family, my, my tradition, my trial, my church, my nation will save me? In fact, nobody is saved by belonging to a group, any group, when their individual heart is hard toward God. And I feel sometimes that connecting with lifelong generational traditional believers has to be the most difficult part of a pastor's ministry. He asks for helps and he's, he's he asks for help and he's given platitudes. He calls for the Holy Spirit to move and there's stagnation. He prays for revival and dead remain dead. Why did we ever make some kind of profession to God? Why did we make a profession of faith? Why did we make a vow? Was it because we were following tradition? How can we call ourselves Christians when we don't read the Bible? It's not about having a Bible at home, really. It's about opening that Bible and actually reading it in order to learn what God has to said. Christianity isn't something that you embrace blindly or because you were born into a Christian home or community. It's an instruction from Jesus to take up our cross and follow him at our own will. And today, as we prepare for communion, we need to confess our sins, and we need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to agree that, to God that we have messed up, and we need the righteousness that only he can provide. And we need to remind ourselves that God's amazing love was finished with the work of Jesus Christ. And after all that I've said, what can I say that you've never heard before? Is there any story or analogy or parable or any solitary piece of scripture that hasn't been preached that you haven't heard? Probably not. 
that God's word is the standard by, why, by which our lives must be measured. And if our lives do not align with scripture, then our lives are in the wrong and not scripture. It's a rock. It's a measuring tape. It's a model for life, and it reveals everything that we need for life. And as we move into communion, ask yourself, really, what is the meaning of this sacrament? Do we approach this with the complacency of tradition, or do we approach it through the tradition or the inerrancy of God's word? I'm going to close with a prayer based on what Moses wrote. That's recorded in Psalms 90. And Moses said, Father God, you have been our source of strength and peace for many generations. From the time that we are born until the day we die, you are God. Everything we do, you see. Our secret sin is exposed in the light of your presence. Teach us to trust you that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. May your deeds be shown to us and our children, and may the favor of our Lord and God rest upon us. Amen. Do we believe what we believe we believe? <laughs>